Well, if uh, most of you who got our, my text yesterday were made aware that before we get into some things here this morning, we want to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in our world. Now, when the, the things first broke out over in, the, uh, in Russia and the Ukraine, and the troops were being amassed and, and built up, I was watching it, seeing what was going to be going on. Uh, when the invasion did occur, none of the people that I listened to, uh, but I was hearing from people who heard different ones that were equating what was going on in Russia and Ukraine with the Ezekiel War. I laughed. I couldn't believe anybody in the Christian circles could be so ignorant. But apparently there are some people that are. Uh, there is absolutely no way that you can say that the Ezekiel War has anything to do with the war between Russia and Ukraine. It's the wrong players, the wrong people are involved in that war. And it's also in very much the wrong location. It needs, that war will take place over in Israel. And I'm not sure if you're up on your geography or not, but Ukraine is not Israel. It's not, it's not there. So I've decided to, uh, you know, let things, let the dust settle a little bit and uh, kind of look at this, what was going on. So if you want to, is it possible that this war sets the stage for anything to come or impacts end time events or impacts Israel? I did some looking up on what would, what would be occurring here. And there are some ways that what is going on with Ukraine could impact Israel. One of the ways that that could, that that could happen is it could ex, um, the, there's a, a deal that is trying to be worked out or constantly being worked out, I guess, with Iran as far as the nuclear weapons are concerned. And right now, Russia is playing a key role in those talks. One of the things that could happen is if Russia gets mad with the West and decides to punish them, that they could do some things in these talks. They could sabotage the talks. They could also do some things to escalate Iran's getting a nuclear weapon. If they get upset at how the West is treating them during this particular crisis. Uh, the war in Ukraine could also impact this in another way. It could cause Iran to believe that you can, uh, you can um, invade any country without any serious ramifications. As the world is looking at how NATO and others are responding to the invasion, if they don't see enough deterrent, they may say, why not, why don't we go? That was one of my first thoughts on this was that uh, China was going to be looking at this for a possible invasion of Taiwan, which they've been talking about for a long time. That would also have uh, other ramifications. Now, with the world distracted right now on what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, they may think this is a nice time to do so, so they may feel like the door is open. Another way that this might happen is that the U.S. might choose to draw down their forces in Syria. If they feel they need to commit more of NATO, more forces to NATO, 
to uh, stop anything coming from China or what's going on here in Ukraine. They may pull some of the forces that we have over in Syria. And once we do that, once uh, NATO or U.S. pulls some of the forces out of there, that can open up a door that Iran might see. Uh, Turkey may also choose to attack. Now, Turkey is, uh, they ride the fence. If you know anything about the end times, if you've been through some of the classes that we've done here, you know Turkey is a major player. They are huge in this. In fact, Antichrist comes from that region, maybe from Turkey itself, maybe from Iran, maybe from Iraq. Antichrist comes from that region. We've spent time on going through the end times uh, before. If you haven't been through that, anyone who still thinks that the Antichrist is a revived Roman Empire would be false. Anyone who thinks that he's coming out of Europe, that would be wrong. He is not coming out of the United States. It is very clear in Scripture where he comes from. And um, we've spent time on that. We're not going to spend time on that this morning. But the, the Word of God spends a great deal of time in the book of Daniel describing where Antichrist comes from. It is the only revelation that we know of in the Word of God that was prevented by Satan from arriving. But it did get here, and we did find out the area for where he's coming. So Turkey might choose to attack. <clears throat> they may choose to attack some of the uh, areas in Syria. Now, Turkey has been walking a fine line on this. They are uh, supplying Kiev with some drones, but they're also buying some S-400s from Russia. They might decide to sell to the highest bidder their support. They may say, well, if you in the West, you and NATO, want us to support you, then this is what we want. We want some, uh, we want to be able to go and we want to take some land ourselves. They had, uh, they had invaded the Kurdish areas before. They may say that we want some more of those areas. We want some areas in Syria. And if you do that, we'll support NATO policies. If that doesn't happen, they may go to the Russians and say, we'll support your side if you do these things for us. There's another thing that could go on here, and that is Hezbollah. There may become come a place of direct war with Hezbollah and Israel. There's a couple of reasons for that. First off, Lebanon is collapsing financially and economically. According to some rumors, Lebanon now needs more wheat due to the Ukrainian crisis because they were receiving some wheat from them. <clears throat> they already have an energy crisis. If Hezbollah is looking at this and decides that Lebanon cannot carry on the battle, they may pick it up themselves. Now, they recently tested Israel by flying a drone across the border. They may decide that it's time now to move into the Golan Heights. They may decide to attack somewhere along the Lebanon, Lebanese border. They may choose to escalate this on their own. So there are some things that this conflict will directly impact as far as Israel. Don't know until it happens, but just know these are all scenarios that can play out. And that would impact Israel. So Israel is keeping an eye on these things. They're watching this. Ukraine has been a major... Uh, uh, well, Israel imported a lot of things from, from Ukraine. I wondered why that was, because Ukraine is not near. There's not really a direct path to it, 
So I look on the map and I, well, you can't get it from this one, this one, this. There are so many nations between them and Ukraine that are not favorable to them. That's probably why they went all the way up to Ukraine to get this. But they had uh, last, I think it was, um, yeah, in, two th in, in 2020, Israel imported more than $150 million of goods from Ukraine. The heavy emphasis was on food. More than $70 million went toward the import of oils, dairy, eggs, and grains, according to Trading Economics. The, uh, with this battle that has gone on, a lot of the imports have, uh, are gone. And one of the persons from inside of Israel said that half of their grain has now been cut off. So they said basically, uh, cut your, your bread supply in half and you'll understand some of what they're going through. <clears throat> they also import a large portion of their construction materials from Ukraine. They import uh, a great deal of uh, iron and steel from Ukraine and things that they would uh, use to, to build with. So that's why they're walking to such a fine line. They want to support Ukraine, but they don't want to get Russia mad. Because if they get Russia mad, then Russia does some things with Syria. And... Uh, it's just, it's, it's quite a, uh, a deal going on. So, as the Word of God tells us to pray for the peace of Israel, we can certainly do that. These are some of the factors that are going on. This war is not in the Bible. The Word of God says that there are going to be lots of wars. This could be one of the lots of wars that it talks about. But uh, don't let anyone deceive you into thinking that this is the Ezekiel War or that through this war we are entering into the, um, the, the final days. Uh, we may be in the, in, the, in the final days. We may not be. This war has nothing to do with that or won't point you in any particular direction. What we do know from the media is that they're telling us that the good guy is the Ukraine and the bad guy is Russia. Now, if you know me and you know some of the things I've told you before, what, do you, what does that make me think? That's just my normal way to go about things. They are way, way more on the side of Ukraine than I can understand. And I, so I just, I question, why does an ungodly media side with these guys? And I don't know. I don't have that answer yet. So I'm looking. I, I check some of these things out. I do, uh, I do watch these things. <clears throat> and I... Do listen to, to some of it. I, I hear some of the things that the media is saying. I don't listen to them directly, but I do have uh, ways that it filters on through, and I do get it. And I, I heard them talking about a particular interview, the interview for which I heard 100% from start to finish. And they were talking about the interview, and I heard many that have gone on before and talked about this and completely took the interview out of context and made it say things that it did not say. President Trump was on in an interview in which he was um, asked some things and one of the statements he did make in the interview was this was a brilliant move by Russia. He was not saying that the invasion was a brilliant move. He said how he went about it. And what he, he was not talking about the invasion in any way being brilliant. So if you've heard that and you heard the media, they are doing you an incredible injustice by feeding that to you. Because there is absolutely no way that was in there. He condemned the invasion. 
He said, if it had been under my watch, it wouldn't have happened. And he outlined the reasons why it would not have happened. He put up his record. Four years, they didn't do. They wanted to. We had talks about it. And I said, don't do it. And he didn't. He also brought up China and their desire to go into Taiwan. They saw an opportunity for weakness. They saw an opportunity. Uh, Russia did when they went into the Ukraine the first time under Obama. They saw an opportunity. They took it. They didn't see the same opportunity in the four years with Trump. They did see an opportunity here. That should speak uh, volumes to you right there. Uh, I, I don't see Joe as a leader at all. I don't see him as president. You all know that. I've expressed that uh, opinion uh, over and over to you. But the people that are behind him have no backbone and have no leadership to be able to lead in this kind of a crisis. So that is why they see the, the weakness that is there. Uh, the brilliance of this move that Trump was talking about, and I knew about it beforehand, what they were talking about, there were two regions in Ukraine that had decided to they wanted to break away from the Ukraine. And what the Soviets had done, I shouldn't say Soviets, what the Russians had done was they put people in charge in those areas. They were actually able to work some people in those areas who were favorable to the Russians and put them in leadership. And so that took them even more over. So that those two areas that they went into first were actually favorable to the, uh, to the Russians, uh, but they, they went a little further. Than that. Now, Russia does not have near their full forces dispatched. They are dispatching more, but they do not have anywhere near. If they put all their forces in there, it wouldn't really be much of a battle. But they haven't done that. If NATO put all our forces in there, Russia wouldn't stand a chance. I've seen the numbers of our forces against uh, the NATO forces, not, not United States, NATO forces against Russian forces. And the numbers, just the sheer numbers, uh, Russia wouldn't do that battle. They just don't have the numbers. Maybe they got China involved on their side, then you wouldn't. Now, now you can see that things, that's how things escalate. And they escalate because there's a lack of leadership on there. And they, they don't believe that, that Joe will do anything or the people that are behind him. But if you want to pray, uh, I've, told, I've spent time on this before. I don't pray for our president to prosper in the things that he does because I know the things that he wishes to do are detrimental to our country. I've known that before he was in presidency. I've known that in the 40 years he was in leadership before. There's nothing new that I didn't, I didn't like this guy. I don't like, it isn't that because of his party. I could care less about his party. I care about the things that he does, the things he believes, and the things he has done so far. And those things are not favorable. He has been very selfish. He has done things that make him rich and hurt our country. He has not just done that while he's been in president. He has done that for many years before. If you don't believe that, I, I will not argue that with you. You cannot believe it. You can go whatever way that you want. But um, <clears throat> that has been going on for quite a long time. Now, will God use an evil ruler? Well, will God make you get born again? He will not make a ruler do what they don't want to do. But if they show themselves to be against God like Pharaoh was, if they show themselves to be against God like many of the kings of Israel were, he will orchestrate events to show up for his people to make it very difficult for them to go against the things of God. They will go kicking and screaming. They will not bow to the wisdom of God because it's the wisdom of God. 
They are bent on evil. Joe and the people like him, they are bent on evil. They are so bent, it just it disgusts me, the things that they're doing. It has nothing to do with their party. I don't care about their party. I care about them and the amount of evil that they will do and the amount of evil they will press upon people. And that, that angers me. I know it angers God. God is against him. Now, this is not the first time that God is against the leader and for the country. It is not the first time that has occurred. If you go through the books of the history books in the Old Testament, you will see that there were times in the Old Testament that God was against the king, but for the people of Israel. There you have how God behaves. So if you want to study some things, you can study that out. But anyway, I just wanted to talk to you about that a little bit. The, um, this is not an end times battle. And it may lead to some of the end times battle. It may cause some voids. But uh, that is, this by itself is not an end times battle. So with that, if you would turn over in your Bibles, we're going to be in a couple of different places. But Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to start. We've been looking at the last couple of weeks the qualities of maturity. Because if you are going to grow and become mature, you need to have these qualities in you. And also, these are the kind of qualities that you want to have in people that you depend on. We still looked at steadfast, and we looked at patient. Now, somebody asked me a question. I don't remember who it was. Somebody asked me a question on the way out, and as I told you, I love questions. You all come up with some questions, and you ask me some questions. I love questions because you get me to think about things I hadn't thought of. So on the way out, one of you all asked me the question, what is the difference between being steadfast and being stubborn? Isn't that a great question? And so whoever asked that, it just kind of came up in my spirit because that is not really a, a thing that I pondered too much, but it came up in my spirit, and I think it's uh, meditated on since then. This is good. This was all right. The, um, a steadfast per, uh, the difference between one who is steadfast and one who is stubborn is the one who is stubborn is not submitted to anyone or anything. They are only submitted to themselves person who is steadfast is submitted to a higher authority. It does not need to be God. You can have a steadfast, unsaved person who is submitted to an authority over them. A police officer who is steadfast. A person in the army, in the navy, who is steadfast. Un, not born again, but steadfast. Will do what the higher-ups have told them to do of course, would be lawful. It would be in accordance with what they're, they're supposed to do in their position. And will hold on to that because they were instructed by their authority to do it. As Christians, we do it because our authority, God, has told us. So that's the difference between the two. Uh, don't call everybody stubborn because just because somebody won't be moved off of a position doesn't mean they're stubborn. They could be steadfast. So I uh, wanted to pass that, that on to you. But we looked at steadfast. We looked at patient. The one word patient describes a trait that when making a stand on the promises of God will not be moved by tribulations but set themselves to outlast the trial when walking in the love of God will not be moved by the shortcomings of people or their insensitivities. We gave you that last week. Let's go over here, Mark chapter 4. We'll make sure we get through some of this there today. The quality we're going to be looking at today is calm. Mature people are calm. One of the things you'll notice that the younger a person is, the more 
uppity they are, the more uh, jittery they are. But as they get older, you know, you can kind of calm down a little bit. And we're not quite as, uh, as, as jittery as we once were. So, Mark chapter 4, we're not studying, we're going to be looking at some stories here. We're not going to study the story so much, at least I'm going to try and stay away from that. Because I want us to look at one thing, and that is the, the trait of being calm. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? People often believe that they are calm or as calm as can be expected when facing trouble. How many of you have felt <clears throat> you're a little, a little uppity about a thing, but you know, no one can be expected to be more calm than I am right now. If you were facing this, you would be a little worried, you'd be a little anxious, you'd be a little set off too. So I see myself as calm. I don't think God expects more. And a certain amount of panic is normal. Look like I switched my letters there, so you can just change that if you want. A certain amount of panic is normal. Well, this is just what people do. Now, but what does God expect of us? Who's, and whose expectations are you living up to? Are you living up to yours, the world's? God's? Whose? Now, it's easy to make declarations when the sun is shining. I'll put that in your outline for you. I want you to make sure you got this. But what do you speak out when the wind and waves hit you? It's easy when you're on the side where the sand is and you get into the boat and you say, let us go on to the other side. And I hear Jesus say that. Let's go. Yes. Let us go to the other side. Let us go to the other side. Oh, we can go. We can. But then we weren't expecting opposition. Uh, if you've been around me sometime, I, I, a year or two ago, I don't know when it was, I saw this great comedy routine. I really enjoyed the comedy routine. It was clean. It was nice. It was funny. And uh, this is guy, I think his name is Mike McIntyre. He's British. He has a British accent. And um, I've shown this to a, to a number of people. If you haven't seen it, you ought to go out there and, and catch this out because he talks about uh, people that are married and have kids and people that are married and don't have kids. And the people that are married and don't have kids, they say, oh, wouldn't it be nice for us to have some kids? Wouldn't it be nice to have some little ones, you know, little replicas of us just wandering around? And so... Um, they would, they would do these things. They said, well, once you have the kids, things that you don't consider to be difficult become hard. And things that you didn't even think ever could be difficult become near impossible. And he said, I loved his first example. He said, he used the first example. He said, take this, leaving the house. Leaving the house. He said, no kids, husband says to the wife, why don't we leave the house? Okay. And they walk off the stage and they leave the house. That's it. <laughs> now, you have to see the routine to see how he does when he has kids. It was, it, you can go up on YouTube and look them up. Um, people who don't have kids, something like that, it, you, you can find it. But 
Oh, it was hysterical. You know, they're shouting, there's hollering, there's feelings that are hurt, there's tears, all sorts of stuff, just to get to the place to get outside of the house. We talked about driving on by, and a new restaurant came up. And they looked over, the husband and wife, they look over with no kids, and they say, oh, there's a new restaurant. We should go visit there. We will. We will go visit there, and we will have dinner. And then the other husband and wife with all the kids in the car, they drive by there and they say, oh, a new restaurant has opened up. We will never, ever get there. <laughs> because things can become difficult that once, that once were easy. It, it is easy to make a declaration when you are standing on the beach. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. We're taking them to the other side. We are going to take Jesus to the other side. We are going over to the other side. And then you all get in the boat, and Jesus says, well, while you guys are doing that, I'm going to take a nap. And so he goes down into the bottom of the boat, and he's taking a nap, and they're all up there on the boat, and everything is fine, everything is good. And all of a sudden, the, the storm comes up. And the, it's not quite as easy as it, as it was, but still, you know, we can, we can, yeah, we've been in storms before. It's not a, not a big big deal and so the the ways come now different people depending upon your maturity level and what you know of the word they have different ways of handling these waves some people they just deny the waves there are no waves in our way we just deny them now you would never do that we just we just deny i am not sick i do not feel sick i do not have this problem we just deny it I don't think that's going to help them too much to deny the waves. Uh, so some try and outlast them. We're just going to outlast the waves. And so that's what they're basically doing. The waves are coming. They can't last forever. Eventually they're going to stop. So we'll just keep bailing the water out until they stop. And we just try and outlast the pain. I can outlast the pain. I can outlast the condition. Whatever it might be. Or we battle them with natural weapons. Or we ask questions like, why do I deserve this storm? What did I do that caused this storm to come up in my life? What did I do that caused this sickness and disease, this, this, this uh, problem to come up in my life? What did I do? We ask questions like this. Don't waste time asking questions like that. Or they reevaluate their path. Maybe I'm going the wrong direction. Maybe I shouldn't be on this lake at all. Maybe I shouldn't be going this way. Maybe go to the other side. Maybe that wasn't for today. Maybe it was for another day. And I'm here too early. We come up with all sorts of stuff. But they eventually reached the end and decided well we are out here on the lake. The waves are bettering us and so we need to do something. And so they decide to go on down. In verse 38, But when he was in the stern asleep on the pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Now it says they there, which means more than one. In the Greek, it is really easy to tell if there is one person or more than one person. Even easier than in English. But if there's a they, that means that at least some of the people who were battling the waves decided not to battle the waves anymore. And to come on down and get Jesus. 
Now, I don't know if it was all of them or if it was half of them, but at least some of them went on down and they're no longer in the fight. They're down here with Jesus, which means they probably figure we're going down. Whether we go down five minutes sooner, it won't make too much difference. <clears throat> Let's go get Jesus. Now, if you go to some of the other places where it talks about this, in Matthew 8, 24, it says, And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. Does that give you a little better picture? The boat was covered with the waves. Imagine waves that are crashing over the boat. Can you, can you imagine that? Can you imagine a wave crashing over the boat? How much water would come into the boat when a wave crashes over the boat? A lot of water. That's a lot of water. And you need a lot of buckets to get that amount of water out. And before you do, another wave is coming. Luke 8.23 says, But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. The Greek word for filling here is, means to implenish completely, to swamp a boat, to accomplish or be complete, completely full, to fill up. And Weiss puts it this way, so that it was now full. There's a lot of water on this boat. Where is Jesus? Sleeping down in the bottom of the boat. Is, has water gotten down to Jesus? I don't know. Maybe he's in some kind of an airtight chamber. I, <laughs> I don't know. But generally when I sleep, water wakes me up. Anybody else been that way? I'm, my, my greatest memory of that is what happened in my first year at King's College. First year at King's College. First semester, I went in as a quiet uh, recluse, stayed to myself, minded my own business, and I uh, left for Christmas break with a posse after my head. They were going to get me. In fact, it was so bad, we, we just we got involved in so many pranks. My roommate, Bob, is the one who helped uh, put me in there. We've uh, had a number of communications since then. <laughs> He tells me, he says, Steve, I still have that new American Standard Bible you gave me back in college. He said that helped turn my life around. And um, we, we talked about other things. I wrote him and said, well, you helped turn me around too. He said, I was a nice, quiet. <laughs> and I'm not, I didn't, it wasn't anymore. But anyway, we would go out and we would do these pranks. And, and one of the things, this is, if you ever wonder why I don't get involved sometimes in pranks and some of the things that you all do, the little skirmishes that you do, is because I don't have a fader switch. I have an on and an off switch. So I generally kind of keep it in the off position. It's better for you. I keep it in the off position. <laughs> because I know what happens when it goes under the on position. When it's on the on position, folks, it, it, I don't care who you are. You're going down. <laughs> you are going down. And so we, uh, we had this battle that raged, and we were going back and forth, with uh, pranks and just in doing things, and uh, one of the one of the last things that I'll tell you about, uh, somebody had come to our door in retaliation for what we had done, punched out one of the door panels, we just punched it, put a hole in it in the middle of the night, and threw an M80 and a powder bomb into our room. 
The powder bomb fortunately went underneath my roommate Jonathan's bed. It exploded underneath the bed, so the powder stayed underneath there. But there was an M80 that went off into our little three-man room. We retaliated in, in kind. And so in coming back to get us, uh, the door panel was already busted out, so we didn't really have a lock on the door. And so they, uh, uh, they snuck their way in, and they came in with garbage. Uh, uh, you know that trash can we have over here we put the trash in? That big blue one? Yeah, ones like that. They had three of them filled with water, two guys carrying each one, and they dumped one on each one of us as we were sleeping. After that, my roommate said, we are not staying here. We are leaving until after Christmas break. They left. I stayed by myself. I had to hold down the fort. The fort. I did get them back. But you see, all through all this, no one knew I was behind a whole lot of the things that were going on until they... No, he didn't. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. So, you see, when the switch gets turned on, things happen. I don't like those things. <laughs> so a lot of times, I just stay in the background. And, uh, and we, don't, we try not to do that. But they... Um, here in this, this boat is filling up with water. It is, it is getting full. Jesus is down there. I would think that, he, that the water would have woke him up. Somehow it didn't. Somehow the water didn't hit him. I don't know what it was. The boat going up and down like it was with these kind of waves would have, would have taken me out of sleep. I wouldn't have been sleeping. Jesus was. Talk about calm. So he's over there asleep. But they came to him. Now, Williams, I had Williams' translation on this too. I wanted to read this for you. Now, as they were sailing along, he fell off to sleep. But a furious squall of wind rushed upon, down upon the lake, and they were filling up and were in impending peril. They knew, not all, but a, lot of the, a number of the disciples were sailors. They had sailed this, this uh, lake. They knew its storms. They knew its potential. They had been through them before, but they got to a place where they were in panic. And so it says, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So they went from a place of, of Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. To the place they don't think Jesus cares anymore. All in a matter of time that Jesus was sleeping down in the, down in the hall. Now look what Jesus does in verse 39. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So Jesus gets up. Now if you got up and were awoken rather abruptly, we told you how this, they basically resurrected him. The wording that's used, they basically came and resurrected Jesus out of his sleep. And in a panic, don't you care that we are perishing? And uh, if you look at the other two Gospels to cover this, they have a different thing that they said. So it seems like there was not one spokesperson, but different ones were speaking different things. And three of them got written down. That would tell us that at least three people are the they, probably more. They come on down and they get Jesus. Jesus doesn't wake up and say, guys, why didn't you wake me up earlier? He, does, he doesn't say that. 
if you woke up and your house was on fire and the, the kids are there waking you up, mom, mom, dad, the house is on fire. <gasps> Why didn't you get me sooner? We, 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 you know, be sooner I could have done something. Can't do anything now. But he doesn't say that. He speaks to the, to the wind and he turns to them and he says, um, how come you didn't take care of this? Now, I put in your outline, handling spiritual battles with our current level of understanding and ability can lead to our boat going under. If you go after your battles and your current level of understanding and ability, you, your boat may go down. Just like the disciples' ones here. Staying calm is important. Staying calm is not helpful in battle, though, unless you also, here's your blanks, unless you also speak words from the same spirit that keeps you calm. You got to speak words, not thoughts. Jesus does not think, peace be still. He says it. You've got to speak words from the same spirit that keeps you calm. Just because you're calm doesn't mean anything's going to change. I was, uh, I was, thinking about a situation when I was a youth leader and I got a I, used, I started being a youth leader in a little tin box car that uh, you really wouldn't take anybody around in but I eventually uh, traded it in and I got one that you could move uh, take people around in it was a, a Ford Tempo had four doors on it you know you could put people in the back people in the front and so after for some reason after Sunday service uh, one time we had a snowstorm and there were people who came to church in the snowstorm. There was a lot of snow outside. And I don't remember when the snow stopped, whether the snow stopped on the Saturday before or, or when it was, but I just uh, what I remembered about it was that for some, some reason there were three kids who needed a ride home. I don't know why they were stranded at church. I don't know why uh, mom and dad weren't there or that if uh, the youth group were just going to go out and do some things. Whatever it was, they needed a ride home. I put them in my vehicle and we were heading home. But there was a stretch of road that, uh, would, that fed into the church in which we were, we were going uh, down. That um, It was a two-lane road. And when the snow fell, there were a lot of farm fields in this area. And so the wind would blow the snow over the areas that were just plowed. So they could run the snow plows, but then the, 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 the wind would blow it right back in. So we were driving on down. And your road is narrowed now because not only do you only have what the snow plows did, and it was a, it was a substantial snowstorm. We're not talking about a couple of inches. It was a, stem, a substantial one. I don't remember the, how much was there. We were driving on down, and another car was coming the other way, so you know you have to get closer to each other than you would like to normally because of the way that the snow was. And they hit an area of slush, and it just threw all this snow and things up into the air and it landed on my Ford Tempo. It completely blacked out all visibility. I don't mean it was hard to see. I mean visibility was gone. There was no scene at the side. There was no scene at the front. It was gone. And you're driving on a narrow road with other cars and so the people that were in the passenger seats 
I had a little bit of panic come on them. And they didn't tell me this until afterwards, but they told me afterwards, they said, when that happened, all you said was, oh. <laughs> and that was it. That's all I said. Oh, I put my wipers on, wiped the things clean, and just kept on going. I didn't think anything of it. They were stunned. They told me about it afterwards. How is it that that's the only reaction that you have? By nature, I have a, a calmness about me. But there's a, there's a nature of the Holy Spirit that when He gets hold of you, the calmness that you'll have is not a natural calmness. It is a spiritual calmness. Because in the Spirit, you'll know how to handle the situation. You'll know what to speak. Remember when Jesus said, when they haul you before courts, don't be thinking about what to speak. I'll give you the words when you need it. Which means the whole time that you're in prison, what are you doing? Just resting, relaxing, calm. Aren't you worried about what they're going to do? No. No. Calm. Calm. Now, I learned a, a long time ago that if I get involved in a situation that suddenly changes and it's bad, if I didn't know about it ahead of time, I didn't need to prepare for it. And what I have is what I need. I've learned that. If I miss God and God said, prepare for this, get ready for this, and I didn't, well, that's different. But stay calm. But just because you're calm doesn't help. Just because I was calm in that, in that car when the visibility was gone does not mean that anything was going to change. It does not mean that the situation wasn't good. It means I had to do something. And I did. I put the windshield wipers on, got the thing cleared off so I could see again. You have to, you have to do some things. Don't just ignore the problem. Staying calm and ignoring the problem does not help your situation. You've got to speak words from the same spirit to keep you calm. This is what Jesus did. He spoke words. Luke 4. Uh, I don't want to get into all this, but we'll just read a few of the verses that are here. Verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went out into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He went to Nazareth. He came back to his hometown. He went to Nazareth where he grew up. This is where Jesus grew up. This is where they saw him when he was little. And he came into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, a whole lot is in there that you won't, won't necessarily jump out at you. But what the, what the uh, custom was in these days, they would come together in the synagogue on the Sabbath, they would get the scroll and they would read. Now, it's not like us where we just open your Bible to Mark chapter, to Luke. That's not like how it was. Nobody in the church had a phone with an app on it that gave them the Bible. Nobody in the church had a copy of the Bible at home. So if you want to hear the Scriptures, you had to show up in church when they took the scrolls, which were highly valued, very expensive, highly valued. And they would treat those scrolls with care and they would bring them on over and lay them out. And there was a place where we left off last Sabbath. And the person who was there would read. Now, if you had somebody who was a, a, a prophet, 
uh, minister, some, and they came into town, it would be customary to let that person read the scripture for the day instead of the uh, rabbi who was over that synagogue. And so Jesus, he, he's the new kid in town. He's been going around teaching. Let's have Jesus do the reading. Oh, wouldn't that be nice to have little Jesus get up and, and, and read the scripture? And so they handed him the scroll. Now look how it says right there. You can read right over that and, not, and, and miss it. He found the place where it says. In other words, he skipped past where they left off last week. And he found the place in Isaiah where it says this and he read it. Now first thing they're thinking, that's not where we're supposed to be. <laughs> Why did he do that? And then you could get into more of this too. Uh, he actually changed some of it. And that's why everybody was quiet after he read it, because he changed some of the words. And then he says in verse 21, And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, people just read the scripture. They don't say this sort of stuff. What do you mean the scripture is fulfilled? This, this scripture is about Messiah. You're, you're little Jesus. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, As surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in the days and were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went on his way. Now, I don't know if you can read this in here, or not, but uh, it seems to me that Jesus is picking a fight. <laughs> I mean, you get up there in front of these folks who are, who, in their mind, oh, that's little Joseph boy. Oh, that's little Jesus. And he says, oh, little Jesus, you. <laughs> I can't say that he did that for sure. But, I mean, he does seem to be a little antagonistic here. He said, uh, what, you guys got a problem with this? Do you remember Elijah? He wasn't sent to any of your people. Your, your people. Uh-uh. uh-uh. He, none of them were good enough. No, we had to go outside. Hey, remember Naaman? Yeah. Uh, the prophet wasn't sent to heal any of Israelites. None of your relatives. Uh-uh. No. They all died of leprosy if they had it. He was the one that was healed. Oh, another man. If you want a case in point. It's like if you were over in the stadium where the Eagles play and a Dallas Cowboy fan comes in. How many Super Bowls have you won? <laughs> it starts picking, picking fights and, and that's what it's like. So there was, this is what happened in the church service. I'm going to help you see this. In the church service, after Jesus gets done preaching, they basically push him out of the building over towards the cliff to push him over. Now that is like here, if I got up here and said some things, of course I've never said anything to make you mad. <laughs> but if I said something that made you mad, and you decide we're going to push Steve out of the building 
over to the quarry and throw him over the edge. That's what it was like. That's what was going on in this church service. That's how mad they were. And now if that happened, how many of you, if you were in, the, if you were in Jesus' shoes and the mob came and got you and pushed you out the door and over to the cliff, how many of you might feel a little bit of panic? <laughs> a little bit of what's going on here? And Jesus seems to remain completely calm. And He allows them to push Him out the door. And He allows them to push Him over close to the cliff. They're feeling pretty good about this. I mean, they're about to commit murder. Rome does not like people committing murder. They don't really care who you kill. They just don't want you to do something that they don't know about. And it says that they're trying to push him through. Can you imagine? You're so mad at this guy and you're pushing him. You got him over to the, in the direction of the cliff and then all of a sudden he just passes right through you. Where'd Jesus go? I, I, I thought I was pushing him. And you're pushing somebody else now. Imagine you think this is Jesus. You had your hands on Jesus. You're pushing and all of a sudden, whoa, what are you doing? I thought you were Jesus. Do I look like Jesus? Hmm. He just stays calm. Why does he stay calm? See, there's a trust factor with him. He's got a trust with God. He knew when I came into this town, this is what I was supposed to say. And he said it. He knew it would make him mad. And he just passed through. Now, have you ever spoken words that you knew would make people mad that heard it? Now, if you do this in the flesh, you will accomplish little and reap the result of what you sow. There are sometimes we say things from our flesh and we get people mad. But there's times that you do it in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And if you do that, you will accomplish what God desires and reap a spiritual reward. Not all the words of God make people happy. Some of them will make them mad. So despite speaking what God said, because Jesus only says what he heard the Father say, despite speaking what God said, Jesus is still being physically pushed out of the place, out of the town, and towards the cliff. But still, there's no panic on his part. Now, this is not in the Bible. But it's a question I begin to ask. Right now, what are the disciples doing? Where's Peter? Where's James and John? Where's Matthew? Where are they? Well, I, I know one thing. They are not at back in the synagogue. I wonder how Jesus is getting out of this one. This will be fun to watch. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not where they are. My guess is they're trying to bail the water out of the boat. My guess is they're fighting the waves. But they're over there. No, no, and they're pushing Jesus the other way. And they're pushing some of the other people out. Maybe they're grabbing them and throwing them off to the side. I see a battle going on. Because I don't see Peter seeing Jesus being pushed to a hill, sitting back, not letting anything happen. I see Peter getting involved. I see Peter grabbing some people and throwing them around. I see John and James getting out there and using them fisherman muscles and grabbing some of them people and throwing them out of the way. 
And Jesus is just being pushed backwards, you know. He just, I even see Jesus smiling. <laughs> but I don't see a panic on his face. And then he just walks on through. Now, imagine this. Look at your Bibles. Who does it say walked through the crowd? It does not say the disciples did. It says he did. Which means the disciples are probably still there fighting the crowd. And Jesus has already passed out. Passed by, passed by them all. They're there fighting the waves. And Jesus dealt with it differently. So a lot of times we deal with our problems in the wrong way. We're on time to go over all this story. That we're going to go over it all anyway. But a lot of you know this. In Exodus chapter 14. Now one more note I put in your outline there. Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. How would you like it if you were just going about your own business and all of a sudden thrown before you is a clear-cut case of adultery that you need to pass judgment on? Could that cause a panic? What do you say? Hmm. You've got to know, well, if I say this, this will happen. If I say this, this will happen. Neither one of those scenarios is good. But he's still calm. He just starts drawing some things in the sand. Then he begins to speak some things. Speak out of your spirit that brings the calmness. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Phi Haverthoth, uh, between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. And I will, then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. So right now, Moses knows what? Pharaoh's coming. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and that the heart of the Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptian pursued them, all the horses, the chariots, Pharaoh, his horsemen, and all his army, and overtook them camping by the, by the sea beside Phi Heroth, before Baal Zephon. The trouble began here, brewing far before the people knew they had a problem. This, this thing started way back. They don't even know they have a problem. They're going out bold. Oh, we just got out of Egypt. Oh, yeah. People in Egypt died. Oh, look at us go. Not knowing didn't change anything. They didn't know what was going on, but not knowing that they had a problem, that didn't change their problem, did it? Just because you don't know what's going on in the, in the, uh, as far as the problem is concerned, just because you don't know it, it doesn't make any difference. You may not want to go to the doctor because if I go to the doctor and he tells me I've got this, then I've got to know it. Not knowing does not help you overcome the problem. <laughs> Sometimes that's how Christians go. Now also, not, no, not only did not knowing not help, 
But when they found out and started to cry out about the problem, that didn't help them. The only thing that helped them was knowing and speaking words out of faith and trust. That is all that would help them. But they, once they knew, they started to cry out. Now, this happens with us sometimes. Don't just blame Israel. Sometimes we either just rather go along, I don't want to know that I have high blood pressure. I don't want to know that I have this condition in my body. I don't want to know it. Because I think that will help me. It didn't help Israel. Israel does not know that Pharaoh was coming. Moses does, because God told him. But they don't know it. And apparently Moses does not tell them until the army is visible. Now we can go on this story. We'll, we'll probably look at it a little bit more. But they see the armies there and they immediately cry out. They're not calm anymore. They were calm before, now they're not. You see, a lot of people are calm, but it's a natural calm. It's based upon not knowing things are going wrong. It's a natural calm. Some people get upset and, and agitated because gas prices are going up, because food prices are going up. That's, it, I mean, it, it shouldn't take you by surprise, for one thing. Whenever you have leadership in a country that explores oil and, uh, and, and drills for oil, the price goes down. I heard Nancy Pelosi, was it Nancy Pelosi or Jim Psaki? One of them. Both of them are pretty ignorant. But they made the stupid statement that said even if it was Jim Psaki, even if we open up the pipeline, even if we authorize the pipeline, it wouldn't change the, the, uh, the price of oil. How many heard, the, heard that said? How many believe that to be true? That is false. And I can prove it in the history. Because when they, there's two times they opened up the pipeline to be built. And both times they opened it up to be built, guess what happened to oil prices? They immediately went down. There was no oil being produced from there, and they immediately went down. What happened when they approved the idea of fracking? What happened to oil prices? They went down. Why? Because when the leadership of the country declares something to be open and to be explored, it is treated like it is so, and like that is, that is a reality now. Just go through history. When does the stock market react to the oil prices going up? When they see an event that goes on that will cause it to go up. Not when it actually goes up. This, this is history. This, I'm not giving you anything that re revisionist. This is just what has happened. As soon as we, Joe decided to close down the pipeline, what happened to oil prices? We weren't getting any oil from it. But as soon as we decided to close it down, what happened to oil prices? They started to go up. These people, they, they think we're all ignorant. They think that everybody is just going to buy what they say. Don't buy what they say. Understand, whether you're a Democrat or whether you're a Republican, if you open up oil, oil prices are going to go down. If you close it, it's going to go up. Electric's going to go up. It's just the way that it, it does. It does not care what party you are. So this trouble began brewing far before the people knew they had a problem. You've got things going on in your life that are brewing, that are a problem, and you do not know that they're coming. You do not know that a problem is coming. You do not know that decisions were made over in Egypt to send something your way. You don't know it. 
But you know what? God does. And God told Moses. Now, that means this thing is not going to take God by surprise. So if it takes you by surprise, hang on to it like I do. If something takes me by surprise, and I've been doing what I'm supposed to do to walk with God, if it takes me by surprise, I didn't need to prepare for it. If it takes me by surprise and God says, I told you this is coming, you didn't listen, I repent. All right, now what can we do? And then we, we work to, to get the thing back. But don't, don't be fretting. Don't be fretting. Do you think that God knew that oil prices were going to go back up? Do you think God knew that the loaf of bread price was going to go back up? That certain things were going to become scarcer again? Do you think he knew that? I think he did. So just rest. Be calm. Don't, don't get all upset about the whole thing. Just be at rest. God, what should we do? How should we go about this? This is what they should have done. It is not what Israel did. And you can read the rest of that, that scripture there. I'm not going to try and, and read it all because we, we still have communion to go here today. But they began to declare things with their mouth. See, we should have stayed. We should have stayed in Egypt. We said it. We said it. We should have stayed in Egypt. See, they declared it. They're speaking out of the wrong spirit. You've got to speak out of the spirit that brings the calmness, the peace into your life. What is that spirit saying? Do not speak until you hear what that spirit says. Now, many of you have believed God for, he for healing. I believe God for healing. I'll bet you have been in the situation that I have been where you're believing God for healing and things seem to be going better and then all of a sudden, suddenly. Oh, where did that come from? Oh, and that too? Oh, oh. And all kinds of things just seem to be falling apart. And what it is trying to get you to do, the enemy is trying to get you to first off panic, secondly to speak out of that panic. Don't do it. Stay calm. And speak out of that calmness. With the same spirit that gives you that calmness, speak out of that. Most people, you can ask Chris on this, I think she'll back me up. <laughs> Most people who make financial mistakes make them because they knee-jerk reaction to some news. Would that be about right? I can't say, I'm not saying all of them, but I say a lot of times you get hurt because you make a knee-jerk reaction to news that you heard, and then you oh, I shouldn't have done, I shouldn't have sold that, I shouldn't have bought that, I shouldn't have done. It's a knee-jerk reaction. Stay calm. Listen to the Spirit of God. I've heard some people and investors, the Spirit of God would be, be calm, something was going on, and God should I sell. God says no. And then the market tanks and the thing goes all the way down. I thought you said not to sell. I did. But now I lost all this money. Stay calm. And they do. Sometimes it's even a couple of days later. Oh, came right back up. If I would have sold, I would have lost all that money. Yep. <laughs> Just stay calm. Speak words out of the spirit that brings that calmness to you. I got to finish some of this stuff up here. When you go through this, I want you to take a look, particularly verse things in verse 11. Then they said, see, they, they begin to say things that were born out of fear. In verse 12, this is not the word we spoke. They were showing that they were vacillating between opinions. One time they're over here, another time they're over here. That, that spirit that leads you into being calm will not change its mind. Won't bounce you around. 
If you're going to keep on second-guessing the wisdom that God gives you, why in the world is God going to give you more? Don't keep second-guessing. So in verse, uh, pull up, did I put it in here? Hopefully I did. 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I put another version on that. The New Living Translation, I put it on your bulletin for you. He says, in the New Living Translation, he says, just stay calm. Just stay calm. The new, the, the new King James, I said, I think I said, uh, hold your peace. In other words, if, you, if that's blind to you, you've got peace. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. Hang on to the peace that God has given you. There are things that are going to come into your life. Things in the area of sickness, things in the area of finances, uh, things in the area of wars and rumors of wars. There are going to be things that you're going to hear about, things that are going to come against you to try and get you to be, be taken in the wrong direction. Do not panic. Do not panic. Remember what Jesus said to, to Jairus when he got the, the news? Why trouble the teacher anymore? Your little girl is dead. What does Jesus say? Do not fear. And the most important thing that you will find in the Word of God is do not speak words out of any fear that rises up on the inside of you. Take a moment. Get calm. I want to make sure we get here to the end because this is, this is important. Back here to, down at the bottom. When, you are, when your trust is in Him because of your faith that He is greater than all you face in this life surprises. I, I put a, a few things down here. Four things in particular. If you have room for some of them. He is greater than all you face in this life. Surprises, first off, won't set you back. That's the first thing. Surprises won't set you back. Secondly, or steal your calm. Surprises don't have to steal your calm. When your trust is in Him because of your faith that He is greater than all you face in this life. Do you believe that God is greater than economic turmoil? Do you believe that God is greater than wars that are between Russia and Ukraine? Do you believe that God is greater than good or bad presidents? When you trust is in Him because of your faith that He is greater than all you face in this life, surprises won't set you back or steal your calm or cause you to speak out of fear. Now here's the big one. I want you to get there's four blanks inside here. But you will, four things, wait, examine, actually five things, but uh, four, the main one. Wait, examine, listen, learn, and then speak. Now, if you look at the first letter of each of those things, wait, examine, listen, learn, and then speak, you will see the word, wells. When you are ready to speak, do not speak out of the surface things that are going on inside yourself. Draw from the well. Wait. Examine. Listen. Listen to the Holy Spirit. 
Learn. Let him teach you. And then speak. Don't speak until you do that. Don't come out of the doctor's office and say, oh, I'm going to die. Don't come out of the doctor's office. Oh, God, I need this number to go higher. Oh, I need this number to go lower. Don't come out of there that way. You're just going to be just like Israel. Oh, woe is us. We should have died in Egypt. Oh, why did you leave us out here to kill us? No, don't do that. Wait. Don't say anything. Just wait. You don't have to say anything. Just wait. Examine what's going on. Then after you examine what's going on, listen. Let the Spirit speak to you. Learn. Let Him teach you. And then speak. It's important that you do that last one. You've got to speak because the most powerful words in your life are whose? Yours. More powerful than God's. In your life. Panic is a sign that your trouble is beyond where your faith and trust should be. That comes as, as a result of missed opportunities for your faith and trust to grow. You may have missed opportunities for that. In other words, you didn't mature quite as fast as you should have. You weren't quite prepared for what was coming. You may feel panic, but until you speak it, you haven't got off track. You may feel panic, but until you speak it, you haven't got off track. Don't speak it. Jarius did not get off track by feeling fear. And he never spoke it. And he stayed on track to get what he needed. You can stay on track too. Don't go out there to the store saying, I don't know how I'm going to afford this. Don't go out to the, to the, oh, that war, I'm just so scared, I'm just so nervous. Don't be speaking out of panic. Don't be speaking out of fear. Things are going to go on. We're in the end times. At least we're more in the end times than, than Paul was. We're in the end times. How much further we have to go, I don't know. But we're closer than we were. And the closer we get, the more this stuff is going to happen. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars, things are going to happen. Just rest. Rest in it all. Whenever there was a shortage in the Old Testament, did God take care of his people? Yeah, he did. Do what God says to do. Would you all stand up with me? Before we leave here this morning, it is our communion Sunday. Our ushers are going to be bringing the communion elements around. On the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. His body was broken for the curse to be shattered in your life. Thank you, Heath. Because he did not want that curse on your life. So he allowed on his body to be put the curse. The curse of the law. The curse of sickness. The curse of disease. He put that on his body. You do not have to bear it anymore. Many Christians do. The Word of God says that's because... They have not discerned the Lord's body correctly. But we can discern it. I can understand what it is. I can understand what it was supposed to do. But his body was beaten. He took all that for us. So that we don't have to. 
What a great love. One thing you will notice about Jesus as he was going to the cross is how calm he was. People even marvel. Don't you have any words to say? Don't you have any words to speak? But he stayed silent as a lamb. And they beat him, tortured him, they mocked him, they ridiculed him, they threatened him. The whole time he stayed calm. You too can stay calm because the same spirit there is in Jesus. In you. He will lead you to a place of calm. If you lose the calmness in your life, panic begins to take over. It is simply that you have walked out of trusting your Father. You have walked beyond your level of trust. Just get that level of trust up higher. And if we have ever panicked, we've ever missed it, just go before God and say, God, I... I panicked, I missed it, I said some things, shouldn't have said, spoke some words I shouldn't have spoken. God will forgive you. God will restore you. That is, that is certain. Let's take the, the bread. Remember, the body of Christ was broken, beaten. No more constantly bringing the blood. No more wondering if we did enough. This is of it all. Let's walk in that covering. Let's walk in that forgiveness. Father, we thank you. So great for us. He demonstrated how to walk in this world and face trials, face tribulations, and not be thrown by them, not be pushed into an area of panic, but he continued to trust you. And even though he said some things that stirred some people up against him, he knew he said the things that you said to say. that same peace that works in us, that same calmness. We don't have to need to react. But we can watch our words and wait until we hear. Then we can draw. Thank you for it. Jesus. Well, have a great rest of your day. Tomorrow the video teaching will go up. Put a little introduction for you there um, of what to expect and uh, brother Rick does a phenomenal job of breaking down some things in the area of sickness and disease in categories you may not have known have a great rest of your day bless some people before you go